All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 203 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli as we inch closer to the Stanley Cup playoffs and the playoff race, Frank, in the East. Uh, a few weeks ago, Pittsburgh looked like they were in pretty good position to, to lock down that first wildcard spot. And, and now they wake up on March 20th and they're clinging to the edge of it as the uh, Florida Panthers have closed the gap. The island Now, I know they have games in hand on the Islanders, but, man, the Penguins just got spanked on the weekend. This is a, this is a little bit of a surprising twist here for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I would say this is sort of the inopportune time for a three-game losing skid. And it's not just the three-game losses. It's, it's also how they looked in the losses. I mean, getting worked over twice at Madison Square Garden, back-to-back games against the New York Rangers. Uh, to me, I think more than anything, what it reinforces is the Pittsburgh Penguins may or may not be a playoff team this season. I, I just don't – even if they get in, I don't think they're anywhere close to competing for the prize. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, they I don't. mean, the Rangers we consider sort of an outside – threat and this weekend i don't know if the lopsided nature in which they won 13 zip and 15 unanswered goals over three straight games does that change your opinion it doesn't for me but the fact that they did it with two different goalies in net and all those things like they're a really intriguing team nonetheless oh i still think the rangers like if they match up against new jersey that's going to be a heck of a series and um 
I think they've got the they've got lots of playoff experience. They they've got some elite players. Like I think New York. If I look at Carolina and New Jersey, if I'm just talking top end elite players, I think the Rangers have the most. And sometimes you know you get one or two of those guys at a different point taking over a game. That can be the difference in a series. So I think the Rangers are a dangerous team. You know, their defensive play, but Shesterkin, he hasn't been as consistent as he was last year, but he still had spurs where you're like, oh, this guy's one of the best goalies in the league. And if that shows up in the playoffs, that could be a tough time for either the Devils or the Hurricanes. Well, I I would say both New York teams. The Islanders, if they get in with Sorokin, who I think is going to – look, Olmark's going to win, but Sorokin's going to garner Vezina votes for sure. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a statistical toss-up right now as to who gets in. You've got two teams for three spots, and I think the person who does the best job with their playoff modeling is uh, HockeyViz.com and Micah Blake McCurdy, our friend at Ineffective Math on Twitter. Right now, he says Florida is a 57% shot and Pittsburgh is 64. The Islanders have the slight edge at 69. So between those three teams for two spots, like Florida has just kind of grounded out. Like they're, they've had some ugly nights this season. They've had some ugly nights in the last, you know, six to eight weeks. And yet here they are playing arguably some of their best hockey of the season at the time when it matters most. Yeah, and I, I like I like Florida's schedule too. And I know they play back to back tonight and tomorrow. But you're in Detroit and you're in Philadelphia, and both of those teams have have uh, you know the realization of playoffs aren't coming that they've kind of stubbed their toe a little bit. It's always hard to win. We we see those teams upsetting all the time. But I just like Florida. I think they've got they have the most skill top to bottom of mm-hmm. those three teams in my eyes. And you know the Islanders, I give them credit without Matt Barzell, and there's no update on his injury. It's still dated. It's like the longest dated day ever, but. Um, I look at, at the Panthers, and they might have the lowest odds, Frank, but I, for me, the way they're playing and the talent they have on their team, I still think they get it. Yeah, I mean, a, a 10% shot. So which team is out? That's the big question. Well, Pittsburgh, I, don't, I can't get a read on the Penguins. Like two weeks ago, I'm like, okay, they found their game. You know, it's Crosby, Malkin, they'll solidify things. And then their last few games, you're just like, they don't even look like a playoff team. So... And Grandland has struggled. And yeah, the Islanders have played the most games and they, you know, they're missing obviously one of their best offensive players on a team that doesn't have a lot of offense. So I still am leery, but you're right. Sorokin's the wild card there because he's just so good. They don't have to score a ton of goals to win. So, Mm -hmm. and they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs is the truth. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're a tougher team because, because of their goaltender. I don't, I don't think there's any, I also think the style of their play too, like they're pretty defensive minded, they're pretty physical and they, they don't give up a lot of goals. So they only really need to be pretty opportunistic in a couple, you know, think back to the coin flip analogy from uh, Tom Dundon. Like they, they don't need a whole lot to get over to 51%. No, that's fair. Like, and, and their schedule, like, they get more rest here. Uh, like, games in hand can help, but also when you get late in the season, it just means you're playing way more games and, you know, you're playing more back-to-back in a condensed period of time. So, you know, like Pittsburgh tonight, Frank, I think is the key game, Ottawa, right? Like, the Sens are, you know, they gave Toronto everything. That was a pretty exciting game on Saturday, and they're not rolling over. Then they got Colorado and Dallas. Like, this is a tough week for Pittsburgh. Yeah, Um I mean, Pittsburgh, it's kind of the same story. Like, they just look old and slow. Yeah. 
But hey, speaking of the Penguins, you see the story. It's interesting, you know, Steve Simmons writing that uh, Pittsburgh would be interested in, in Kyle Dubas. Or, you know, when I see something like that late in the season, Frank, doesn't your spotty sense go off a little bit and you're wondering, like, why is this story coming out now? That was kind of the big thing to me reading the big headline was, I'll just read it to you. Simmons says GM Kyle Dubas could be hot commodity if let go by Leafs. And I don't think there's any breaking news in that. Like I've said before that I think other teams will actually move ahead and fire their general manager if Kyle Dubas is available. And I get the sort of natural inclination to speculate once there's a GM opening as there is right now with Chuck Fletcher uh, being dispatched in Philly you know, Barry Trotz is obviously taking over for David Poyle. Um, there's, you know, some uncertainty in Ottawa with new ownership and Calgary with Brad Tree living also in the last year of his deal. But I just thought it was really odd that it was so specific in which Simmons said, quote, one of those teams is thought to be the Pittsburgh Penguins where general manager Ron Hextall is in difficulty and the status of club president Brian Burke is uncertain. The Pens have relatively new ownership in Fenway Sports Group, which includes LeBron James as a minority shareholder, along with bigger money players like John Henry and Tom Werner. It makes sense. I mean, Boston and the Red Sox, the way they seem to have run their operation seems to be like, almost exactly what the Leafs have modeled their their team after in terms of the way they think about it and the way they go about it process-wise. But I think, to me, the big thing is you hit it on the head. Why now? Like, everyone's known all season long that Kyle Dubas is in the final year of his deal. Why is this being talked about with four weeks to go? And where's this narrative coming from and why all of a sudden are the Pittsburgh Penguins a team that's being connected to Kyle Dubas? Like it can't just be suddenly because Hextall's on the hot seat, can it? I don't think so. I like, what is the connection here? What's, is there a connection between Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins? Like I wonder in Toronto, like if they win around, I don't see any way that they let him go unless he chooses not to go. Right. Unless he's wants a different, but I would think if they want a playoff round, he'd be like, okay, my plan it's in place we're, we're taking steps forward and uh, you know what we're just going to keep hammering away at it so my brain is going to explode if we hear one more thing about winning one more round yeah who cares <laughs> that means you're a solid 12 wins away yeah from out of 16 like you're, you're basically no closer so because you want to like anyone talking about winning a round has lost the plot like, if there is not meaningful movement towards the Toronto Maple Leafs getting closer to winning a Stanley Cup, I, I, I'm not advocating for anything to happen. I'm just saying it's madness to think that this team could lose in the first round for a seventh consecutive year. Has anyone ever done that before? Has any team lost seven years in a row in the first round? I'm sure there's somewhere someone in the 80s. But yeah. Wow. Even then, like, I don't think so. It's madness. Question. It's madness to think, oh, because we got over the hump into the second round, that therefore it should be looked at all of a sudden differently as if it's any better than losing in the first. Do you, you ever hear the Carolina Hurricanes celebrating the fact that they've won around each of these last number of years? Yeah. I haven't heard that. 
And they're no. in Carolina, not the so-called self-proclaimed center of the hockey universe. Now I'm I'm looking at um, trying to find it, but now you could be right, Frank. Oh, look, that's a good question. Um, I, I I can't I can't think of a team that's lost seven consecutive years in the first round. But again, no. my point is not the first round. It's that if you think that winning four games in the playoffs is is an improvement. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Lost, you've lost the plot if that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's fair. I'm looking at. Uh, I'm even going back to the original six, and I don't see it. So, yeah, it's a good question. I'll have to look that up. Um, so you look at the East, and we've talked about their playoff race. In the West, it's very different. You've got Winnipeg, Nashville, and Calgary, and it's like they're tripping over each other, Frank, in the turtle race. Because now Winnipeg did have a big victory over Nashville, but they couldn't get it done in regulation. So they win, but they only win halfway, right? They get two points. The Preds get one. And uh, Nashville, if, if you go on uh, games in hand, then they still, in theory, if they win them all, but they have to win them all, and that's a, a long shot. You know, they're 76, Winnipeg's 81, and Calgary's in the middle at 77. They have a game in hand on the Jets. If they win that game in hand, then they're two points back. There's lots of ifs, but... And then even Seattle, like the Kraken have slowly, I I think they'll be able to hang on, but you know, the the Jets are only two back of the Kraken. Now Seattle has games in hand, but I just like, it's kind of become a real turtle race between Winnipeg, Calgary, Nashville. And I'm not, I'm not sure ultimately it matters if any of those teams get in. It's a pillow fight. That's what it feels like. I mean, we are four weeks away on Friday from the conclusion of the regular season and if you're watching the West playoff race, you're kind of just yawning. Like, okay, someone put someone else out of their misery here. The fact that no one has hit the Nashville Predators yet in the face with a shovel and buried them after they uh, sold off at the deadline, I mean, it just speaks to, I think right now, how inauthentic or unauthentic Winnipeg's chances are to actually do damage in the playoffs. And I know we could just had the same conversation about uh, Sorokin and the Islanders, and you could say the same about Hellebuck and the Jets. I just, like, I don't have anything that I can point to in the last, we're approaching two months. Like, it's the end of January that the Winnipeg Jets slide began. They're still comfortably in the driver's seat in terms of the playoffs, at least in terms of chances. And the Kraken are even way north of that. The Kraken are at 90%. The Jets are at 63, Preds 30, and Flames 20. Winnipeg's still comfortably in the driver's seat for that final spot. It's just, it's turtle race, pillow fight, whatever you want to call it, it's ugly to watch. Yeah, I don't know. I was was in uh, Calgary for a a buddy's birthday, and we're at the bar, and we're watching the Dallas-Calgary game, and, um, was you know it was an entertaining game if you like offense, but you're you know in Calgary knowing what had happened and just like every time you thought they were going to get control of the game, they would just gift it right back. It was uh, it was not story nuts. of they, their season. Yeah, they just don't look like a team. And the fact that like the Flames are really only there because they're able to lose in overtime. Like it's mind blowing. What they got fifteen overtime slash shootout losses. Fifteen. They do just enough to to keep you interested in hanging around. It's almost like it's the worst kind of tease because they actually have the talent, I think, on their roster to do so much better. Well, yeah, I think they should be better than what they are right now, no question. So, 
because uh, I think they've been in overtime now. I think it's 19 times. So out of 70 games. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. a Now, not that Dallas is much better. Dallas is going overtime. They've got 13 overtime losses. The difference is they've won game. They've got 38 wins. Calgary has 31. Yeah, right? the difference is Dallas is might win their division. Yeah, well, Colorado has uh, – well, they're sticking around. They're, the playoff right, Colorado's won five in a row, and we've talked about this for months, that you know the Avs could just go on a 10-game winning streak, and, well, they're halfway there now. and um, that's a te- But even the Avs, when I look at their team, Frank, they're not as good as they were last year. Obviously, injuries are playing a significant role. And like, they're not still having Kadri, I think, is still yeah. Kadri, no Landeskog. I think they're, they're still dangerous, but... They're not the team last year. Like, and Daryl Sutter, I thought, was accurate when he said it'd be a waste of eight days. They're not that. Like, Boston could be that team in the in the first round of the playoffs this year. Like, if you're Pittsburgh, you know, you got to get the seventh seed. I don't care who you are in, in Florida, the Islanders, Pittsburgh. Getting the eighth seed is literally an eight-day waste, I would argue, in the East. Maybe not to your owner, who could certainly enjoy the extra $4 million pump. Sure. Um but I would push against your notion that, like, I think Colorado, even without Kadri, is like almost almost as good. But like no Landeskog either, man. That's but Landeskog will be back for the playoffs, so I don't know how long it's going to take him to get up to speed. But he's been skating for a while now, and like a solid month. Yeah. By the time the playoffs roll around, that's another month. Like that guy is going to be ready to roll, and you take him. And with how well, um, you know, some other guys have played in his absence, I, I just I think that team is equally as dangerous to get through the West as they were last year. Well, Colorado Edmonton repeat in the in the uh, West final would Ooh. be electric hockey. The, the orders are better that into my veins. The orders are better this year than they were last year. And if Nurse and Drysaddle stay healthy, that's another big addition. Like Ekholm's being a huge addition to that team. Their depth scores though are are all showing up and, and producing. And then obviously you've got McDavid on another level right now. Like he's got 134 points, Frank. Like you look at this week for Connor McDavid. Like I, I still think at times people, we, we I, I honestly, Frank, I didn't think 150 point season was likely uh, again in the NHL many years, a few years ago. You know, you got to remember, like it was only five years ago, the guy was winning the scoring title with 87 points. Right? Yeah, like, I, we, I was, I was there. It was Jamie Benn, 86 points. Yeah. It was, t- it was yeah, ten years ago. Yeah, and it was no, not even. I think it was 2015. That's eight years ago. Yeah, like it was. Like you think about where offense has come and and what McDavid's doing. Like he's the only he's only the 18th player to have 134 points. And they've got San Jose and Arizona this week. McDavid's is averaging two points a game in March. Historically, he's always been good in March. You just look. By the time he gets, let's say, to Thursday. And he just does four points a game. Now he's down to the 13th player to ever have that many points. Like every number he gets, it just keeps going into this smaller and smaller. And he's on pace for 156, which puts him in Gretzky and Lemieux, like Gretzky and Lemieux category. Like those guys, they used to be a video game number. And people, I remember young kids would look at Gretzky's stats and be like, well, that can't be real. Like, cause he was leading by 70 and 80 points. McDavid might win the scoring race by 40 points. Dude, I just my mind is still blown about that uh, Jamie Ben eighty-seven point season. You know what the craziest part about that is? He had ten points in his last three games, including four points in the last day of the season. Yeah, he went four, three, and three in his last three games. 
he literally had no business and no one was talking about him winning the Art Ross that year and just came from out of the clear blue sky on the last day of the regular season to win it. Yeah, that's pretty awesome for him. And hey, Ben's having a bounce back year in Dallas. I'll give him a lot of credit. He is. But yeah, it just shows you how how lacking there was in offense not that long ago. Like eight years isn't that long. Right? No, like and I thought that frame. was the new norm. That's why yes. I that's why I said that because I was like, hey, that's kind of interesting. And you're, you're thinking, man, just getting to a hundred again would be an accomplishment. Closing in on one fifty, like where? So it's it really is mind blowing. Yeah, like he's at one fifty, and Drysaddle's on pace. He's and by is second in the league, and he's already thirty points back. Yeah. So. You know, probably will make that gap 35. Who knows the way way McDavid's going? Like it's it's exciting to watch if you like offense. Um, you know, the order's defensive game is still a little bit of a question mark, right? But you look at offensively, the the amount of goals they're scoring, like their offense has improved every month. They're not, and it's funny. There's lots of teams around the league. It used to be Frank that offense would slow down as the season goes along. That's not the case again for the second year. Offense is up as we get into March. Like there's more goals now than there were earlier in the year. You know, the whole offense debate is so interesting. Like, where does it come from, and when will goalies catch up? That's my question. Well, I think the players – I think what's happened here is the players have finally caught up, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. The players now have a clear advantage. The Ah. shooters now with the speed, with the ability to move the puck laterally – knowing that it's so incredibly difficult for goalies to move. And goalies are more athletic, bigger, and have more equipment than they've ever had. When are they going to catch up? At some point, they will again, I think. But what's going to be the next iteration or innovation in net that changes the, the, the structure, changes the paradigm? I think they're going to go back and you're going to see more hybrid goalies because they're getting crushed right now going in butterfly. And the, and the, sh- the good shooters are like, okay, I'll go upstairs. And they go upstairs. Goalies are six, five. And they're getting beat over their shoulders just because there's an inch and the accuracy of the, of the scores today. Like we've seen it repeatedly. How many guys, Oh, there's two inches in the top shelf bank goal. Mm-hmm. And the goalie's like, well, I play the odds. I was in a really good position. So I think, I think you might see uh, the return a little bit of the hybrid Frank. That's the only way I can see it changing. Uh, yeah, I think it's you. You better to have this conversation with Kevin Woodley, but I think the reverse VH, the RVH, has been a huge detractor too, in terms of the way the position is played. It was all the rage for a while, yeah, and I think now it's a disaster. Well, I think teams have figured it out, and and it helps by having skills coaches for these players. Like they're not just training to get faster. They're training to be more efficient in how they shoot, where they shoot, when they shoot, you know, the advancements in videos. I just think it helps. And you've talked about it, Frank, there's, there, there's more lateral passing. Now the game's not as physical because it's fast. And you know, like we see guys who are really good players. You get, you make one wrong churn. You're like two inches. Boom. Guys are going by you across the league. Like, yeah. like, look at Clayton Keller right now in Arizona. And by the way, shout out to the Arizona Coyotes, Frank. They're just moving up the standings. I'm sure their management team is like up chucking uh, at every game. They've won four in a row now. Uh, they've they've moved ahead. I think they got the seventh uh, lowest odds, their best odds, whichever way you look at it, to to win the Connor Bedard. And you know, Clayton Keller, 
Like Clayton Keller has 28 more points than anybody else on Arizona. He has quietly had, he's got 75 points. He's had a really good season yes. for, the, for the Coyotes. Really good. He's like a freedom fighter out there. <laughs> it almost feels like their whole team is freedom fighters fighting to get out of Arizona. It's kind of what it feels like. Do you feel like with each passing game that they win that, you know, whoever's the star player that night or collects one of the three stars there, you see Bill Armstrong crossing his name off of next year's roster. And I say that totally tongue in cheek, but like kind of not really like the old accidental on purpose. Oops. We won again. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I do wonder if you're Clayton Keller, how long are you like, are you eventually going to be like Jacob Chicker and they enough's enough here? Um, I don't know. Like it's hard because you pick to sign that deal. Like how do you? Yeah, no, fair. You are the one who signed the seven-year deal. No one put a gun to your head to do it. And no. you know what? The other part of it is, it was an eight-year deal. Excuse me, eight years, fifty-seven point two million. And the the crazy part about that contract is, and how well he's playing now, is for the last couple seasons, everyone has looked at that contract as an albatross. Now it might actually be pretty good value. Well, he's on pace. He's going to be an eighty-point player. Well, when he when he had yeah. he had thirty-five in fifty-six games, like yeah, everyone was saying you paid this guy seven, and that was signed by John Chica, not by Bill Armstrong. But everyone was saying you did what? He's and he signed that deal so early. He signed it September fourth, twenty nineteen. So in his. 2019-20 season, that same year he signed the extension, he only had 44 points in 70 games. Then the next year, the first year of the deal, he comes through with 35 and 56, and you're going, oh, man, this is bad. And then last year was pretty good, and, and this year obviously is great. Yeah, well, that's one where, yeah, you, you pay for it and you hope that it pans out down the road. And, hey, there's contracts like that where guys are winners, but you're right, that was a little bit of a maybe, you know, wasn't even a 60-point player, 50-point player. It's a big projection, but, hey, he's living up to it right now. And, you know, I watched the Coyotes. They got a really good goaltender too, but I'm just – it's amazing to see the how league. they're playing here down the stretch. It's like they're literally, you know, just, you know, fisting their own GM in a sense because they're just crushing them. Like, honestly, Frank, like, there is no better way to – that's why I've always said it's hard to tank because the players don't tank. I would bet – you know the old Major League, Frank? Remember the movie Major League? Of course. Right? And with every win, you know, they're taking off the – a piece of the owner's clothing, yeah. Exactly. Um, I The Coyotes might not have that in the room, but they essentially have that in the room right now. For sure they are. Because they don't – they're like, screw him, we want to win. And they're showing him, you know what, next year add rather than subtract. Good for that them. ain't happening. Check out their salary cap structure. Oh, it ain't yeah. happening. Yeah. And that'd be, but it just illustrates that you they know might what? not even be playing in Arizona next year. Well, that's the other thing. That Who's probably kidding would be a good who? Thing. That'd probably be a good thing for them. It, it would, I think it would change. It wouldn't change the dynamic in terms of the overall um, process. Like, you know, they're clearly down a certain path and just the sheer number of draft picks stockpiled, you know, at some point in these next number of years, they should have a pretty good shot to be a lot better. So they're not going to change the timeline, but what it should do is certainly inject uh, a different feel to this team. But, hey, speaking of, you know what? Look at their home record, Frank. 
I, wait, can moments. I, before you do that, can I, since you did bring up fisting, can I uh, make a hard right turn? I don't know sure. if you saw this, but there was a viral video on St. Patty's Day. It was actually in my local market uh, on the local Channel 6 newscast. Um, they, were, it, they were talking about drinking, but the poor woman broadcaster, she, um, she made a comment like, now sending it over to someone who loves getting double fisted. And that's how she, <laughs> that's how she, well, uh, I seen it. They're like, that's how she got into the beer. segment. Oh. Yeah. We're talking about beer. Okay. Yes. Glad that you could clarify that. And thank you. <laughs> now over to someone who likes getting double fisted. Uh, yeah. It's a great throw. It's a great throw. <laughs> if honestly, I'm speaking of fists, if I was on that broadcast and you said that I would walk over and punch you in the face on, on live television. If you told me that I liked getting double fisted, <laughs> but she, wasn't she on location? You can't. No, they were in, in the studio. Oh, in studio. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, hey, speaking of the Coyotes, though, they got twenty home wins in thirty-four games this year. Like that's become a really hard place to win. Mm, Stunning. I think it's 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 an opposite effect of everyone just thinks the team is bad. I don't think it has anything to do with the environment. You think? Yeah, you could be right. I think they've kind of lost, like, uh, it's kind of like I thought it, it would be, not to toot my horn. Like, there would be a really cool factor to the Mullet Arena, and I think everyone's sort of first trip through there, oh, this is exciting, it's different, there's actually an environment in Arizona, cool college you know, fans everywhere, it's got a different vibe. But if you're in the Central Division and this is your third trip to Arizona, like, you're just like, okay, what are, like, what? What are, is this, is this in the NHL? Yeah, potentially. It's funny because they got the ninth best home record in the NHL. Like, I, I just think it has more to do with where they've been in the standings. Team saying this, you know, we're, we don't need our A game today because this team's not very good. It's human nature. Yeah, it could be right. Um, but anyway, actually, for, for Coyotes fans, Frank, think about it. They don't have much to cheer for, but at least when they go to the home rink right now, they got a pretty good chance of seeing a win. I mean, I, that's good for all 4,300 of them. Like, good for yeah, them. That's true. Well, if they're all Coyotes fans. But I just like, I watched the story. It's the most unexpected one down the stretch. Usually Coyotes are limping down the stretch. And right now they're actually climbing the standings. Them and Canucks fans are probably like, what are you guys doing? Because hmm. their odds by every day. Like, honestly, they've kept past Philly. And, you know, they could catch St. Louis or Vancouver before the season's out. What an absolute failure that would be. Oh, yeah. Like, honestly, I don't like whatever no, it I is. That, like if you're ever in a spot where this is the year to, to go all out and your team is no good for the year and was designed to be no good winning games now is, is an utter failure. Oh, I agree with you. And, and look, you can never tell players to tank. They'll never do it. But what you can do is, is start. You could take players out of the lineup. You could do whatever send guys down, you could, whatever you need to do. Healthy scratch, you can change it up. No, tough one, tough one. Let's bring in uh, Ty Ramchuk. Ty, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm somewhat recovered from the Oilers Nation 15th birthday bash this weekend. Um, we have... Did, uh, okay. How many shots out of the ice luge did you do? Yeah, so for people that didn't see, uh, we had a big block of ice with the Oilers Nation logo, and there was a funnel at the top, then kind of a nozzle on the side, and you could do shots out of that. So 
Um, I'm not like a germaphobe, but after watching a handful of random people put their whole mouths around the tube at the end instead of just letting it waterfall in, I was kind of like, eh, I'm good. But everyone was having fun with it, so I guess that's all that mattered. Is it sick that I was watching the Instagram videos and that's like exactly what I I was like, oh. Oh, like I, I would never, ever do a shot off of that. We had, like, alcoholic wipes, and I was like, eh, eh maybe I'm okay. Uh, but we still had a great time. <laughs> we we have uh, 22 Germans in town from OilersNation.de. Uh, they were there partying. They closed down the bar until about 2.30 the night before, and then we're right back there at noon for our watch party for the afternoon <laughs> game against the crack, and they're absolutely machines. Friends drinking a lot of steins? Oh yeah, and they brought uh, they actually brought Jay uh, custom Stein, so he was walking oh, around with the it was nice. it was great. Friends don't let friends drink with Germans. They they go hard and they don't stop, which I've loved. They've been in Edmonton now for about a week, and some of the stories are uh, pretty good. Uh, let's get into buy or sell. Brought or sorry, fill in the blank. Brought to you by our friends over at Points Bet Canada. All the odds you need as we head down the stretch here in the NHL season. Available on Points Bet Canada. You guys have been talking about the playoff races. Now that things are not starting to get more clear, but some teams are falling out of the race. Of the teams still in, the GM that's facing the most heat if their team doesn't get in is blank. Frank, Ron Hextall. If he doesn't get in, the Pittsburgh Penguins do not get in. I believe he will be launched into the sun. All right. Yeah, well, I don't want to pick the same one, so I will say I think it's a toss-up. The two Canadian GMs, Sheveldayov's been there for a long time, and Brad Treleven's in the last year of his contract, so it's kind of an easy one if they miss it. But I think both of them are feeling the heat. Obviously, we know Nashville's got a new GM, so we can't include them. Ain't nobody got the balls to say Lou Amarello and the New York Islanders. Just I don't think, honestly, I don't think he's in. I don't think if they miss, I but he be wrong. should be like just and from an objective nature, tripling down or quadrupling down with this Bo Horvat extension for a team that was long in the tooth yeah. and had can't score. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like you and and you trade for this guy and you still miss. Like so. So wait a second. You gave up your first round pick. That's now going to a team that has better odds and they might be able to sneak into the lottery. Like what? And there's no heat. I'm sorry. Like I, the fact that it's not talked about is out of sheer deference and respect to the hall of famer, which I understand and appreciate, but it should be fairly speculated about just in the same breath as, as Ron Hextall. Yeah. You know what's I, I guess, Frank, the reason I didn't think of them, I didn't have expectations of the Islanders this year, which is maybe that says he should be on the hot seat anyway, but Pittsburgh they they had them. Yeah, Isn't they that did. the point? They they thought that they're a playoff team. They added yeah. like a playoff team. They handled last summer like a playoff team. I mean, to think that you go through this season and oh, they're like okay. So here's my point with the Islanders and Penguins because of the teams that are nipping at their heels: Buffalo, Detroit, potentially Ottawa. Tell me with those teams missing, what year they get back in again? Yeah, fair point. Yeah, that's a fair question. Yeah, it's a good answer. Uh, out west, right now. So why didn't you pick them? Because I, I said we're we're me and you are minus ten in the no balls open. So um, <laughs> that's that's where we're at. I said ain't nobody got the balls. 
out west, there are currently six teams on pace to hit the 100-point mark. Seattle is close. At, they're on pace for like 98.2, 98.4, something like that. Uh, so how many teams in the west, blank teams in the west, hit the 100-point mark, Jason? Well, Colorado's rolling, so I'm definitely uh, taking them. Um, Edmonton's got a pretty favorable schedule, so yes. I'll say all six. All six. Not Seattle, though. They won't quite get there. No, no. Yeah, they'd have to go seven and six. Or no, sorry, eight and five, I think, down the stretch or something like that. Nah. Get in. Which which is very doable four, for them. But, well, they'd have to go eight, four, and one, yeah. right? I think so. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't see them going getting that hot down the stretch. I'm going to say six as well, and I'm going to say that the idea of 100 points being any sort of benchmark for the NHL right now is an absolute crock of shit. Okay. Apologies? No, no. I, I'm, it's not a knock on the question. It's just like this idea of like, well, we set a points record, or look at all these teams touting, like, check out how many wins we had. Like, the way the NHL is structured now is obliterating all of the records for, for teams mm-hmm. by both points and wins. And it doesn't make any sense to keep using that as a, a tout or a benchmark. That's fair. Makes what do you sense. think, Jay? No, I think it's totally fair because of the uh, the loser point does it all day long. There's there's no question. And you have that. the team getting twenty overtime points. Like, come on, get out of here. Yeah, that is uh, that is crazy. Like the leader right now. I mean, fifteen for the Flames. That's insane that they just keep dragging games out and mooching points like that while dallas has 13 as well that might win them their division is just the amount of ot wins they've scooped up all right third one i got for you uh as you guys know david pasternak off the market for pending ufas this year so i thought i'd take a look at who could be out there and maybe who's made themselves the most money and boy it's a wildly depressing ufa class coming up the top five in terms of goals this year for pending ufas Patrice Bergeron, Jason Zucker, Alex Killorn, Michael Bunting, and Max Domi. Domi only has 19 on the year. The top five for points are Killorn, Bergeron, Krejci, Domi, and Patrick Kane. My question to you guys is hearing those guys, hearing who's been the most productive. Blank is the free agent who's made themselves the most money this year. Jason? Oh, God. Um, It's a good question, man. The, the list isn't great. I don't... I'm going to say no one because you look at Bergeron or Krejci, they could get a raise if they wanted, but yeah. I think they want to win. So they're not going to do it. Um, they're not leaving either. So they're yeah, not, re- so. I don't even, they're, when my top 50 free agents comes out next week, they're not going to be on the board. Yeah. Um, like no one's going to pay Killorn a ton of money. Like the only name that I thought maybe would make sense is like a bunting. I don't know. Frank, is there one that jumps out to you? Yeah, I would say, um, to me, the person who's made themselves the most money this season has been Dmitry Orlov, especially after the trade. Um, I'm sort of flirting with, for number one on my board, it's it, it, it's potentially Kane by sheer name recognition. Um, you know, and even with his somewhat pedestrian season for his own standards, does him getting his hip fixed? you know, is he back to normal next season as a, as a free agent? Like, I think that's a legitimate and fair question to ask. Um, but I would say the one guy that no one is talking about that might get the most money in free agency, um, maybe outside of bunting is Damon Severson of the New Jersey devils. I see Severson somewhere in the 
five to six year range at $6 million. So um, Damon Severson will be somewhere in my top three as well. I would actually look at RFAs, I think, more so than UFAs. To, I've to done get, a bit of that the, yeah. the last few um, few days. But I there are certainly some interesting RFAs. I would just say that teams are obviously always inclined to keep them. So, Oh, yeah. No, no, what I mean was those guys are getting raises even from their own team. right? Like Timo Meyer is getting a big race, right? So Vince um, Dunn. Yeah, Vince Dunn possibly as well. But, you know, f- you know, defenseman is probably the year. And I've always argued for a long time, free agency is rarely the place that you really want to build your team. You might get one good signing in there that really pans out a big name. You're better off to go bargain basement shopping and wait a week after free agency and you can get a depth guy for a million bucks and and he'll be just as productive as the guy that everybody raced for and signed for $3 million. So since joining the Boston Bruins... Dmitry Orlov has 12 points in 11 games. So north of a point per game, he's playing 21 minutes a night. And if, 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 I know he's older than Severson by three years, but if the Bruins go on a deep run, Dmitry Orlov will be well paid. You know, the one guy who might, because he's got 15 goals and he's making 900 K. If you look at a guy, like if we just look at percentage of increasing Nick Bukestad, has got 16 goals. He might finish with 18. He's going he, from 900K to He's one. not getting paid, though. Well, but let's say he goes to 1.8. He's doubling his salary. That, but that big. doesn't it doesn't count for someone that was already making for something. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bad contract a few years ago, so. Well, he was at 4.1 for six years under Dale Talon. Yeah. But if you look at a guy who, at the start of the year, Frank, at 900K, people are like, Jesus, he might be out of the league. Now he, now he okay. might be able to get back. Anyone that pays Nick Bugstad this year, like, please allow my brain to explode. Okay. Not a Bugstad fan, eh? Uh, let me just read you his last number of years and their goal totals. 2019, 14. 2020, 1. He was injured, played 13 games. 2021, 6. 2022, 7. And was a healthy scratch in all six Minnesota Wild playoff games. He scoring 15 goals this year in the regular season. I'm sorry. Like it, it's like, give your head a shake. How much you want to bet? Someone pays him 1.8. Oh, 1.8. But I thought you meant like going to three. No, no, no. I don't think he goes to three, but he's still doubling his salary. That's a pretty big increase. Yeah. I mean, just based on sheer, sheer numbers. Sure. It'll but, be another guy too. Like, I mean, if you want to call it the the old Villy Leno effect, but a good playoffs will get someone paid. I wonder about a guy like Bertuzzi. Like, will some GM watch him in a Bruins jersey, go nuts, run people over, be a pain in the ass, score a couple of big goals, and be like, screw it, I'm paying that guy. Big, big coin. It's someone will, but it's it's the back injury that is mm. no one's ever questioned his game. It's no one wants to take the risk. And I someone will based on his playoff if it's as good as I think it might be. Fair. All right, there you go. That is a wrap on this week's edition of Buy or Sell, brought to you by our friends at PointsBet Canada. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Frank, before we go, what, what did you make of the... Uh... James Reimer and the Santa, like the San Jose Sharks organization, you know, basically their, their whole timeline was on educating about the LBGQT uh, plus and, and everything else. Like they had some really interesting stats that, that I never knew about. And I, and I thought it was uh, pretty informative. And to me, it's all about education. I love learning stuff. I thought it was great. Um, James Reimer uh, statement is one that's uh, rather perplexing to me. I know Brian Burke's come out and said, you know, I don't really think these guys understand really what they're talking about. What, like you can respect the guy. Hey, he's allowed to, to have his, his thought process, but I don't think his statement really helped his case. Oh boy. This is a nuanced answer that I don't think can be properly explained in four minutes or however long we have, but I will say uh, I have two thoughts on it and they're two almost um, contrasting issues. One, um, please don't hide behind religion and your very literal interpretation of, of the Bible, because that means you're also ignoring all the parables and scriptures in which Jesus spent with the prostitutes and the lepers and everyone else that was cast off in society. Yeah. Um, so that's one, I would say um, number two is, I guess that I'm trying to think of like the most easy way to explain what I'm thinking and feeling, which is it's like he, he, all of that said, he still maintains a choice. And I think part of my issue with the way our society has evolved in general, not just hockey is that for some of the people that consider themselves to be the most tolerant is that the way they demonize people, particularly using social media, who don't want to be involved, um, they become the most intolerant. Like they become exactly what they don't want to be. And I think that's really problematic. So I hope that's a clean way of explaining how I feel about that. Um, I think there's a lot of things that the NHL gets wrong. But I think one thing that they've gotten right through this process, starting with Provorov to now, is that they don't condemn in the sense that 
Gary Bettman had this way of explaining it the other day at GM meetings, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially it was along the lines of if you donate to three charities that you are really in favor of and support, and someone comes up to you and says, hey, I want you to donate to this charity, and you say, no, no, I'm good. And they say, but it's a charity. Why wouldn't you support it? And your answer is, well, like I already support three other ones, so I, I'm not going to support this one. I'm, I, I'm good. That's his way of explaining the James Reimer, Ivan Provorov decision and choice. And I think that's a fair one in that you, I don't agree with how he's gone about it. Like just come out and say like, I'm not participating. And I commend the Sharks actually for going ahead with their pride night and doing, wearing the jerseys and saying, you know what, if you don't want to be part of it, you need to stand up and explain yourself. And that's fine. Like you, you, you have the right to make the choice, but you also have the right to answer to uh, the questions and whatever consequences may come from it. So I think this is a really complicated conversation Again, not something that can be boiled down in, in three or four minutes, but those are my general vibes and, and thoughts. As somebody, Frank, you know what? I was raised Catholic. We went to church. Um, there, there's lots of things that, uh, that I love about uh, religion and church. And then there's like, to me, I like faith. I think it's good to have a, you know, a sense of believing in something that, that's bigger than you. I think that's all great. Um, but I was also raised, we questioned a lot of things. And, you know, we had conversations around the dinner table and, you know, like you look at, and if you just look at it from a pure, um, take emotion out of it and you look at translation and how many things are lost in translation, the language has been changed so many different times to think that that's exactly what was written. How many thousands of years ago? I think you're delusional. If you think that that's, it's exactly what was stated. You were bang on and talking about, you can't to me, if you use the Bible, I can find anything. I can go through scripture and find one quote that's going to back up my statement on this, but then there's another one in there that will completely reverse it. So I agree with you wholeheartedly on your comment about don't hide behind it because it doesn't really make sense to me. It says that's right. That's not in the Bible. what Jesus would have done. Like I yes. firmly believe that having read 100%. it, I was raised Catholic. I'm not super religious anymore, but um, like, I just, I don't, that's not how I view it. And that's not basically what was taught to me over um, 18 years of Catholic education. And then my concern, and I agree with you, is the demonization of somebody who says, hey, you know what? Now, I don't. I can respect James Reimer. I don't have to agree with him Yeah. by saying, okay, he's allowed that opinion. I would like to have a conversation, a deep, long, drawn-out conversation. It's not what I would have done. I would have worn the jersey and, and supported and whatever. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and, and say James Reimer is a bad guy or James Reimer is wrong or – that's what makes this world go around is that everyone's different. Everyone has different thoughts. Everyone thinks different things. And just because you don't support it doesn't mean you are against it. Yeah. Either. He's not doing anything like here's the mistake. And my one beef about this, that I found that all those, you know, the supporters where all they talked about was James Reimer. They didn't focus on any of the stuff very rarely on what the sharks did and all of the, all of the educational uh, quotes and statistics and all the support they had from the majority of the organization. You think of all the players, there's one player out of a 20 man roster, right? So that's 5%. Okay. One guy. So now they focus on the 5% who aren't where the 95% are supportive. Well, newsflash in the world, there's not hundred percent support on almost anything. 
So rather than get all upset and be like, well, if everybody doesn't agree, well, then that's because now you're missing the point. And now you've overlooked all of the good that the Sharks did and all of the people that supported it. And around the league, you know, it's no different than Van Riemsdyk and others in Philadelphia. And because too many people are just like, I'm going to get mad and yell and scream. And I want to I want to make James Reimer feel like crap. Well, guess what? He's not going to change. And he doesn't care. If he cared, he would have just worn the jersey. He doesn't care what you think. Any writer or anybody who's a proponent thinks that that's going to change. You don't need James Reimer. You don't need him. You see all these stories call out the bigot for what he is. Like, what? Like, if you don't, if you disagree with his stance and you don't like it, that's fine. But, like, now we get into a name-calling situation. Like, I just think, again, that's the easiest way I can explain it is that people who purport themselves to be really tolerant and accepting and inclusive then are the first people to demonize, which then makes them intolerant and it's everything that they didn't want to be. And so that's where they lose me Yeah, to me, the next player. And trust me, there'll be other players that do it. Don't even mention them. Focus on all the good, which is 95% of the people that are supporting your cause. Focus on them because I think they missed the boat and there's way too much about like James. And and here's the thing. So James Reimer doesn't wear the jersey. He's not spreading hate to anybody. He's not. Now, some other people might say, yeah, I agree with James Reimer. Yes, of course, because there's going to be other people that agree with James Reimer. You're never going to get 100% people agreeing with you. So if you start, if you keep worrying about that, push for, you can focus on it in one article, but I agree with you. The name con I thought went too far. And I, and I think unfortunately it overlooked a lot of the real good that was done by the sharks. And if you think everyone's in your camp, let me remind you of this fact, because if you only see the world through one prism, Ivan Provorov's Jersey sold out after the flyers pride night. So if you think that people only see the world your way and that's the only way the world can be seen, that it's clearly not the case. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying anyone's right or wrong. I'm not saying it's cool that his jersey sold out. I'm just saying the fact that it did tells you something, that not everyone sees the world the way you do. Not everybody likes Frank Saravalli. Not everybody likes Jason Greger. And if I focus on the people that don't like me, you just get get beaten down. You focus on the people that support you and like you, and it's just how many hate listeners do you think we have? People that can't stand either one of us that just listen just because. Oh, there's probably a few. Well, the best part is someone hates. <laughs> I see me them in like my you. I see them in my Twitter feed every once in a while when I say something, particularly about a certain team. Well, Columbus uh, fans, they're right, Frank. You yeah. mean you know what, Columbus fans? Let's go, Jacket fans! I love it. The fifth line. I got to go to Columbus for a road trip. Can't Columbus, wait they, yeah. When, when they win the Bedard Lottery, I think if they win the Bedard Lottery, I might go there for season opener. I was thinking this weekend watching the NCAA tournament, how tormented this selection committee must have been with like the absolute shitbag cities that they picked to host the, the tournament this weekend. Like seriously, go through the list. It was like Albany, Sacramento, Des Moines, Columbus. Like, could you imagine, hey, we're making it to the big time NCAA tournament. Boom, here's your ticket to Albany. What? Sorry. Unnecessary piling on. I've never two been minutes. to Albany, so I can't comment. Yeah, two minute minor for Frank for... Uh, Unnecessary just, piling on in Columbus. I, like, I, I like get- Columbus. It's fun. I like. I, I. I actually like going there. I just contend that it's one of the most anonymous pro franchises in pro sports. Tell they get Bedard. Tell they get Bedard. All right. Go uh, Bedard. Just think about it. Bedard and the BJs. They'll be killing it.
Frank, have yourself a great day, and uh, we will talk to you next week. We're having to, we're taking Thursday off, so we will talk to you next Monday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, hockey fans, listen up, because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Face-Off Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.